Yeah, so for our visitors here, we've been preaching through Ephesians chapter 5. So it was lovely when I thought I will do a a theme of thanksgiving and then I turned to the passage that we're up to and lo and behold, it has a lovely passage on thanksgiving. So let's pray as we come to hear what God is speaking to us today. Heavenly Father, we continue in an atmosphere of thanksgiving and praise. Come to your word. Humble us by your gospel. Humble us by the words on these pages. May your spirit make them come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with Christmas over, our attention naturally shifts to the new year. And for some people that means New Year's resolutions. Resolutions that want to make the most of the new year, the fresh start and the opportunities. Here's the top 10 resolutions from just a year or two ago. See if you have ever made any of these resolutions as the new year unfolds. Lose weight, number one. Get organised. Spend less, save more. Enjoy life to the fullest. Stay fit and healthy. Learn something new and exciting. Quit smoking. Help someone else achieve their dreams. Fall in love. Spend more time with family. And on the whole, they're a worthy list, aren't they? Uh, And this morning, as we come to our passage in Ephesians, we come to a section that gives us a framework for making resolutions, for making effective changes in our lives, not just at New Year's, but at any time and gives us a framework for making these changes that not only honour God, but last the distance. And so we come to Ephesians midway through chapter 5. Now Ephesians is made up of six chapters. The first three chapters, Paul lays the groundwork, the theory, the theology, about how we can live a life worthy of the calling we've received. And then the the next three chapters are very practical. It's the how-to. How do we, nuts and bolts, live a life that's worthy. So let's dive in at verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And here we have three practical steps to make the best of life. Firstly, we are to be careful about how we walk. Now this has nothing to do with good posture or tripping over the curb, or even getting lost. Being careful with how we walk is another way of saying be careful of how we live. Consider how we live. Review, ask ourselves questions. You see, we often drift. If we're comfortable in life, we just sort of drift, and we don't often ask us those questions that we need to, or even when we're uncomfortable, we tend to strive for the status quo. And again, sometimes that status quo is based on, well, just having drifted there in the first place. So God's word instructs us to consider carefully our lives. Ask ourselves questions like, what's working well? What isn't? What bad habits need addressing? What good habits do I need to introduce? What's God-honoring in my life? And what's not. So that's the first thing we learn from these two verses 15 and 16. The second thing is to be wise. And in the next verse we'll see not to be foolish. So we're instructed 
not only to consider our walk, but to be wise and not be foolish. And this means that once we've looked carefully and considered and asked questions about our lives, set up a plan. Don't let it just be good intentions. Set up a plan and put it in action. Be wise. Next thing we come to, the third thing in these verses, is to make the best of our time. Now, we don't need to be told how much time we waste procrastinating, putting things off, doing things that are good when really important things are left aside, making the best of our time. And so God's word says to be careful how we live, be wise, and make the best of time. Now, how do we do this? Well, if we go to the next verse, verse 17, we'll see how to make this happen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So as we come to the new year and we're thinking about resolutions, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the will of the Lord, that's a big topic, isn't it? What's the will of the Lord? What's the will of the Lord for me? Well, we'll break this down into two steps and then see how we can unfold this for us. So the will of the God, well, there are two aspects. There's the general will of the God, and then there is the specific will for you, the specific will of God. And so what's the difference there? Well, the general will of God is discovered in the Bible. The principles that we find here are the general will of God. And sometimes there's some specific things that we're told to do. An example might be in the Ten Commandments, do not murder. A little bit extreme, but it's a nice, simple example. So the general will of the Lord is not to murder. And, of course, the specific will is for us not to take another person's life. But sometimes we see the general will of God, but we have to discern the specific will for ourselves. And a good example of this is to love your neighbor. And we find that in a number of passages in the Bible that we are to love our neighbor. That's the general rule. But what's the specific will of God for you when it comes to love your neighbor? And so what we do is we pray. We take the general principle and say, well, Lord, I'm to love my neighbor. What does that look like? We pray. And so you might have a solo parent living next door that has two young children. And as you pray, it might pop into your head or occur to you that it would be really helpful if they had a little bit of free babysitting there every now and again. And so the specific will for you may be to offer to your neighbor, or if you've got teenagers at home, offer your teenager to babysit for free, because that's what parents do. (laughs) But can you see the general will of God is to love your neighbor? The specific will of God when it comes to loving your neighbor is going to be quite different maybe to then to Judy and I, who don't have a solo parent next door. And so that's where we move from the general to the specific through prayer and considering our circumstances. And now and again, we need wise counsel, especially for major decisions. We need to go and talk to another Christian, someone who knows us in our family, and seek counsel to find the will of God when it comes to those bigger questions. So there we have it. If we want to make the most of this new year and and set some decisions up for 2021, then we know that we are to carefully analyze our lives, be wise, and to make the best of our time. How do we do this? Well, when we consider any resolutions or decisions for 2021, what's the general principle involved? 
pray about this specific. And then Paul gives us a wonderful example in the very next verse, quite a controversial example. So let's apply this as Paul says, and it's with alcohol. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. But he then goes to say, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's apply these principles. What's God's general rule here? Well, very clearly that Christians set limits on their alcohol consumption and don't get drunk. That's the general will of God. Now, notice that there is no prohibition here or anywhere else in the Bible that says a Christian should never drink alcohol. I mean, it's not here. It's not anywhere in the Bible. We know that Jesus had wine in the Last Supper. We know that in biblical days, when they celebrated communion, they had wine. So there's no prohibition in the Bible that says never drink alcohol, but there is a very clear general rule that you must limit and not get drunk. But how does that work specifically for you? Now, I'm assuming all of the adults over 18 here have thought about alcohol at some stage. You can't live in New Zealand and not. So what's the specific will for you? And it may be very different from the person sitting next to you. It may be that some Christians decide they're going to abstain. They're just not going to have alcohol. And it might be for the simple reason that they don't like the taste. (laughs) Or it might be that they grew up in a family where alcohol was a major problem and that for them it's just a bridge too far and it's best that they never have alcohol at all. And that's fine. Now, other Christians might say, actually, in some social circumstances, I will have a drink or two, but in others, I won't. It may be that you've got a very good friend who's a recovering alcoholic or someone in your family who's had a heavy drinking problem and is recovering. And you might think, whenever I'm with them in a social situation, I will never drink just because that's, you know, that's a kind thing to do. Whereas in another case, you might have a wine or two. Now, what's the specific will for you when it comes to alcohol? Well, we know the general principle. It's permissible. What's the specific will? You need to pray and consider a very complicated issue. I mean, some people don't drink at all because of the carnage that alcohol does to New Zealand relationships and physically. And so they've decided, I'm just sick of this. I'm just not going to drink alcohol. Good decisions. Specific will of God. So, it's a good case study, isn't it, about what Paul is just saying. However, actually, in the flow of Paul's line of thinking, alcohol is not the bigger issue that we're going to make it ourselves because it's a big issue. This is actually just a lead into something even more important. What Paul is is saying is that, well, uh, you can drink alcohol if you want, but don't get drunk. But actually, I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to show you something that alcohol can never offer. Drink in moderation, but this is even more important. And so this conversation about alcohol leads into this next part of the Bible. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is Paul's main point. In fact, this is the driving point for the rest of the paragraph. Paul is saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit How will you know someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? You will see it as I open up the rest of these chapters. There will be an outflowing of that. So I'll read the whole context. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's the first overflowing of someone filled with the Holy Spirit. The second overflowing is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second thing. That is an overflowing of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, which we haven't got time to talk about today, I'll leave that for another message, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the third outflowing for people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then those that are familiar with the rest of Ephesians, there's some quite controversial submitting that happens in the rest of that chapter that I'm looking forward to preaching. (laughs) But not today. That's a little bit of a teaser. So let's open this up. Paul's main point in this whole section is to say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, linguistically, if you go into the original language, it's be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off event. Now, there's a key question here, and that question is, he's writing to Christians. Don't they already have the Holy Spirit? Why is he saying, be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let's make it very clear that when someone becomes a Christian, when someone believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and when they confess with their mouth that Jesus is their Lord, part of that means that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within your life. Now, you may feel that or you may not. You may have a dramatic experience or it might be quiet and unnoticed, but the word of God is clear. You believe in Christ and he is your Lord. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Just two verses to help reinforce that, both from Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 2. Paul's disappointed in the Galatians because they started believing in Christ and then they are drifting to go back to following the laws of Moses. And so Paul is arguing, and this is one of his key arguments. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? or by believing what you heard. So Paul is saying, why would you go back to the Lord? Because all of you received the Holy Spirit, and it's amazing and wonderful, and none of you had the Holy Spirit living in you when you were following the law of Moses. But in this verse, Paul makes it very clear that every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Galatians 4, 6, again. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and he moves you to talk to the Creator, the living God, as your Father, Heavenly Father. So the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is in the people in Ephesus where this letter was originally written. So why is the Bible saying to the people in Ephesus and to us, be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because we have an incredible ability to quench and to restrict and to put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul is saying, don't be drunk with alcohol. Don't keep on being filled and being filled again with alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we can push the Holy Spirit aside, because our hearts can grow calloused and hard, we are told to keep on praying to be refilled and to be freshed and to be topped up with the Holy Spirit. 
It's not like he's saying, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit. It's time you've got the Holy Spirit. It's you have the Holy Spirit. Soften your hearts. Keep on asking God to fill you afresh. You leak. Now, that's not theologically sound, but it always helps me understand the fact is that I leak the Holy Spirit and I need to be topped up. And so... We now come to the example. So we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're intentional about asking him to be active in our life. But there's a natural overflow. I mean, how do we know that someone has the Holy Spirit? They may claim an experience, but that may be valid or it may not. And so maybe someone hasn't had an experience and they doubt whether they have the Holy Spirit in us, in them. How do we know? Well, There are three overflowing, two of which we're going to look at today. Verse 19 tells us what happens, the mark of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. What they do is they address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord your God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit causes an overflow from our heart. Both God's word, which is the psalms, become very precious to us, But also, whether we are good at singing or not, whether we have not one musical bone in our body, there's a sense from our heart that we want to sing God's praises. And from this passage, we know that we sing in churches and small groups with our voices. But notice it says, make music in your heart as well as your lips. They need to be on the same page. You sing praises with your mouth. We know we've done it ourselves, haven't we? Sometimes we've sung hymns and, and, and our minds been elsewhere and our hearts have been cold. Paul's saying with your hearts and your voices, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit sings praises to God, even if they're off key. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It never says make a tuneful noise to the Lord, which is great for people like myself. I can make a joyful, joyful squawk, but not necessarily a tuneful one. Praise God for those God has placed in our church with musical ability to lead us. Imagine how thin our worship would be if we didn't have those folk who give their heart and soul to making music to the Lord. I'm very grateful for the folk in this church that do that. Praise God for those musical people who who record their music and make it available so that we can be inspired whether we're listening to podcast or whether it's in the car or whatever. Praise God for those that bless the wider church with their musical ability. So whether we can sing on key or off key, the mark of someone filled with the Holy Spirit is that we make music. And the Holy Spirit's so cunning because as we are, as we are singing praises, he is doing a work. He is softening our callous hearts when we sing praises, even if we don't realize it. He is building up our faith every time we sing one of those glorious hymns. And he is breaking down those barriers that we put up before God when we sing in spiritual songs. He's very cunning. And there's a sense that when we have sung God's praises, that we are refilled with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, nothing pleases the Holy Spirit when a Christian who doesn't feel like it, who feels that they can't sing on key, rejoices and by faith sings God's praises. 
So that's the first overflow associated with being filled with the Holy Spirit. The second is found in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father. Those who are filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit overflow with thankfulness. Like singing praises to God, giving thanks is a natural outcome for those that have the Holy Spirit. But also like music, there are many times when we don't feel like giving thanks. It's a, it's a discipline. It's something that sometimes we feel like and sometimes we don't. But out of obedience, we always give thanks to our Heavenly Father in prayer and our conversations when we come to church like this. But notice there's a bit of a catch with this instruction. And not only are we to give thanks always in the good and the bad, but for all things, for everything, the good and the not so good. And the key issue here is to thank God. We don't look for trouble in our life, but when it comes, we know we look to our Heavenly Father. So if we have a bad health diagnosis, we thank God that He will never leave us, even if we have a long and difficult journey through the treatment and the outworking of that condition. Of course, we pray for God to heal us, and now and again in His grace and His mercy, He does. And we rejoice. But there are times when, even in the face of bad medical diagnosis, we are determined to give thanks to God. If we have a financial reversal, we thank God that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he has the resources that we need. Or if we or a loved one has a major relationship breakdown, just awful. We thank God that his love for us or our loved one will never grow cold and that he has a plan. So fear, whether or foul, Christians are marked by gratitude, thanksgiving to God, especially in the tough times. And we've had that reflected with David as well, who's had a journey through his health, and yet today he gladly and encouragingly and inspiredly has thanked God that he has not abandoned David in his medical condition. Well, not only that, he's given David a clear and steadfast hope in his Lord Jesus Christ and a real heart for his family, something we can all learn from. So let's pull all this together. At this time of year, it's natural to approach the new year with some resolutions. And we started, we started looking at these 10 here. If you have a look at those again, do you see what's missing? Is there anything missing from there that you think? should be there. You see, there's nothing there to do with the spiritual life, is there? And in secular New Zealand, we're not surprised that this was came from a secular website. We're not surprised that there are no spiritual sort of aims or desires for that list. But that's not what we've seen today. What we've seen today is some real practical steps on how we can make positive changes in our life. How we can... Look carefully into our lives. Be wise. Make the most of our time. How do we do this? By understanding the will of God. And we realize that we have the general will of God in his Bible. And that when we come across the general principles, we pause and pray, how do I put that in practice? What's the specific will for you when it comes to loving my neighbor or alcohol or any other number of issues? And sometimes we need the help of wise counsel. And then we've looked at the fact is that what was key to Paul was that the people, the Christians he was writing to, to you and I, 
But we pray that we will be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we know that that's happening? Because the desire to sing God's praises wells up within us. And because thankfulness to God is all around our lives and overflows. And as I said, next time we come into Ephesians, we'll look at the submission area as well. But this is a good place to to invite the music team to come to the front. And so we're going to spend some time now doing exactly that. It's praising God and giving him thanks. We're going to praise him in, in song. And then after the second song, there'll be a pause and then people can pray. And I encourage you to pray and give thanks. Give thanks for what God has been doing in your life, what he's done. And we're going to put what we've learned today in practice. So just before I do, uh, I'll, I'll pray and then I'll hand over to Phoebe and to Daniel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that for the new year and how our thoughts naturally turn to a new start and fresh beginnings. But we pray that you will be the centre of our fresh beginnings. And we pray that we will be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit and there will be this overflow of gratitude, of our hearts wanting to sing your praises and that we will, Lord, learn how to live lives worthy to the calling that we've received. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.